Okay, this morning, <clears throat> excuse me, when we think of the, the two epistles of Corinthians, when we see them, again, we see that the first, uh, first Corinthians and second Corinthians, how they, they so <clears throat> work together. Because when we look at Corinthians, when we look at that, <clears throat> the epistle to first and second Corinthians, what we see here is a, is a beautiful picture of the church. Again, the church is not a building. The church are those that are the body of Christ, those that are in Christ, found faithful in Ephesians 1.1. <clears throat> the body of Christ is his body and it is, is his bride. We are his body, flesh and bone in Ephesians 5.30. We are his bride. Again, just beautifully brought out in Revelations, the 19th chapter, and in verses 7 and 9. We are his bride. They're all synonymous terms. So when we see that, the church, what is presented to us in the two epistles of Corinthians? It is the practical, experiential oneness of fellowship of the saints while they're on the earth. What do they manifest? What are we to manifest to God and to each other? It is what? It's a living expression. A very living expression of that fellowship with Christ to which we are called. Notice that? What is our calling while we're here on this earth? What is it that we seek? What is it that we are actually, that God himself, based upon the fact that we are not our own? And 1 Corinthians 6 19 and 20, we were bought with a price. We are not our own. It's God has not left that up to us, those that are in Christ, to live just any way we want. That's why in Colossians 1 and verse 18 and Colossians 2 and verse 19, that there's one head over the one body. That means we have one head. What's that? One head, one mindset, one thought. Our one thought, no matter what we do, where we go, whoever we're with, it's Christ. And that's fellowship. And that's what it's being, that is what is being brought out in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 9. God is faithful by whom you were called unto the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. What is to be manifested in each vessel? towards each other. The vessel or Christ? The vessel or Christ? Well, we see that again, that we are to manifest the living expression of that fellowship with Christ to which we are called. It's what? It's having the very mind of Christ and 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 16. So you see, this morning, folks, either we function as believers in a natural mind in 1 Corinthians 2, 14, the natural mind or the natural man functioning in a natural mind, listen what it says, receives not the things that, that are of God. You see that? 1 Corinthians 2, look at what it says. 1 Corinthians 2, 14. But, but the natural man receives not the things of what? The Spirit of God. Notice that? The Spirit of God. 
having to do with the mind of Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. So we either, we either function under the Holy Spirit in Galatians 5 and verse 16, walk in the Spirit and you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. And when we function in the flesh, what do we function on? The Spirit of the world. The Spirit of the world. That's how we function. Notice again, the natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God. Why? Listen, for they are, and boy, we got into this about atheism. Because what? Because the things of the Spirit of God, for they are what? Foolishness unto him. It's foolish. Foolish. Listen, as a Christian, and when I function in the flesh, the things of the Spirit, the Word, the teaching of the Spirit, oh my God, here we go again. Christ is everything. Oh man, what do I do now? <laughs> well, what were we called to in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 9? How did God call us? He called us through Christ. What does that mean? We are bought with a price. We're not our own. We're not our own. We don't have our own plans. We don't have our own schedules. We just don't. Because to do so is not to have fellowship individually with Christ. No wonder we can't have it with each other. No wonder. No. No, because they're foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them. That means experience as a Christian. Yet you can't experience them. Why? Because they're spiritually discerned. They're spiritually discerned. Just thank God. Thank God. We are the body of Christ. We're not our own. Our bodies are not even our own. Did you know that? You know, we have these physical bodies. And according to Romans 12, 1 and 2, our physical bodies, the very bodies, are to be given over to Christ. So that no matter what I do, I do with him in the energy of his nature, which is love then I function in the purity of his nature, which is light. That's how I function. That's what, what draws us to be with each other. What draws us to be with each other? What is it? Is it Christ? Is it Christ in any of us? Is it? Because they're spiritually discerned. See that? They're spiritually discerned. We are the body of Christ. The only reason we still have these bodies, we have this treasure in 2 Corinthians 4, 7, in these fragile clay jars. How do these fragile clay jars operate apart from the treasure that Christ is in them? Makes me think of Matthew 6, 19 to 21, for where, and 21. For where your treasure is, there will your whole heart, your whole mindset be occupied with. That's where you'll be. For where your treasure is, is the treasure Christ in you? Or is it something in the flesh that's attractive to you that you treasure above him? Oh, Lord. Listen, folks. Either for us in Christ, by his grace, we're either going forward. Well, you know what we're going to do? We're going we're gonna to be going back. We are the body of Christ. He being the head. If Christ is the head, then he is the one that we should be submitted to and subjected to. 
subject. We're to be subject to him, to his spirit, because if not, it's the spirit of the world. It's the spirit of the world. No wonder it says, if you read First John, read First John, the fourth chapter, 21 verses there, as they're brought out in chapter and verse. Try the spirits. Try them. Test them, whether they be of God or not. Is it about Christ? Is it? If it isn't, is it of God? Is that the spirit that a Christian wants to associate with? Try the spirits, whether they be of God or not. Then watch the flow of the love. How love flows, there's no hatred. Watch how it flows. We are to be subject to him being the head. Then we function under his spirit dwelling in us. And then he, in us, with our will submitted, we work out. The intelligence, listen to this, the intelligence of what? His will. His will. That's Philippians 2, 12 and 13, where it says, work out your own salvation. That's very personal. Work out your own, oh God, help us, Lord. Work out your own salvation. Not just the moment you receive Christ. Work out your own salvation with, listen to this, with a reverence and a trembling. A reverence. When should we not reverence the presence of God? When should we not reverence his presence? Are we like the world? Do we find our happiness in the world? Is it about going here, going there, doing this, doing that? Separate from a local assembly, yet saying we love. Oh, God. No, 1 John 3.18, love not in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Because it is our conduct that reveals what we truly believe. Not what we say, but how we conduct ourselves. How we do conduct ourselves so that he is able to work out in us individually the intelligence of his own will. Philippians 2.12, work out your own salvation with a reverence and a trembling. Why? Because it is God which works in you. Is it God working in me? If it is, I'll have fellowship. If it is, it's Christ. What causes me to laugh? What what brings out in me? Is it the laughter of the world or is it joy? Is it a joy? Work out your own salvation with a reverence and trembling, for it is God which works in you both to will, that has to do with Christ who finished it in John 4, verse 34, and to do. Listen to what it says, folks, of his good pleasure. Now, how do we define Christian life? It's his good pleasure. What does that supposed to mean? His good pleasure. Well, look what it says in 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 6. What, what does it say? She that lives in pleasure is dead. What would dead pleasure be? The lust of the flesh, separated experientially from Christ. What do we value above the body of Christ? What do we value above the word? If faith comes by hearing, learning dependence, and hearing by the word of God in Romans 10, 17, then what do we value above that? 
she that lives in pleasure, right? She that lives in pleasure is dead, separated experientially while she lives. What does that mean? How should I interpret that? How should, how, and, and how do I interpret anything? Uh, here I am in Christ. That's my position. But how do I interpret anything? How do I interpret anything that I hear being taught? About, I'll tell you how, my position in Christ. Is there any condemnation to them that are in Christ? Romans 8, 1. No. Is there plenty to condemn the flesh? It's a plenty. Yes, I can even hear a grace, the gracious truth and word of God and live in the flesh and feel like I'm being condemned. Because there is no condemnation to them that are in Christ. She that lives in pleasure is dead while she lives. How do I interpret that? Well, we need the word of God again. He's Hebrews, the 11th chapter. I want you to listen to this. Watch this. Hebrews 11, verse 23, right? Now, remember what we said Romans 10, verse 17, faith, absolute dependence, and complete submission to God comes by hearing. Now, if I don't want to submit, do I want to come and hear? You tell me. Does it make any sense? Doesn't make any sense. Faith comes by hearing. Hearing by the Word of God. Not just hearing it. Hearing there in the Greek is submitting to it instantly. Because we know that delayed obedience is what? It's disobedience. Here is, here it is in Hebrews 11, verse 23. By faith, what does that mean? He not only believed God, he submitted to him. By faith, Moses, when, look at, when he was born, his parents was hid three months of his parents because they saw he was a proper child, one chosen by God, and they were not afraid of the king's commandment. Oh God, how many, how many times Christians with those that they love, are afraid to be doctrinally true towards them because they're afraid they might offend them because they're living in the flesh. (laughs) Wow. Look at this in verse 24. By faith, Moses, when he came to years. Listen, do you know what that means? When he was able to make a right decision with his will submitted and the positive grace and truth that Christ is. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, look what it says, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Who's Pharaoh a type of? Who is he? He's a type of Satan. Egypt, what is that a type of? The world system. When by faith, dependence, Treasuring dependence above everything. With By faith, Moses, when he came to years, refused to be called the, the son of Pharaoh's daughter. That's not my family. Choosing. He made a choice. Every person I come in contact with, it's going to involve a choice. Choosing rather, watch this one, to suffer affliction with the people of God. Did you know that? If you make right choices today in the world system with Christians, no, I'm not talking about unsaved. I'm not. I'm not. You will suffer affliction by choosing what? To suffer affliction. Why? Because all that live godly in Christ Jesus in 2 Timothy 3.12 will suffer persecution. 
but to be persecuted by those that are Christ's? Oh, Lord. This is where we are. This is where we are right now. We're in the latest sea and age. In Revelations 3, 14, right through, and Jesus is knocking on the individual door of those that are his and saying, let me in. Let me in. And then he that has ears, let him hear what the Spirit's saying to the individual who makes up the church. Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. First <laughs> Timothy 5, 6. He that lives in pleasure is separated, is dead while she lives. And still call it life, still call it fellowship. Oh, the plans that we make. Oh, the plans that we make. And even by those that are supposed to be, those that are given to us as guides, how they support them. Oh, how they'll help them. Mm. What a mystery to me. Why? Rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Listen, if I don't want to suffer affliction, where's that going to be in the flesh? Why? Because I'm too busy enjoying the pleasures of sin for a season. Here's verse 26. Esteeming the reproaches of Christ. What's that mean? What does it mean to esteem the approaches, the, uh, the reproaches of Christ? Look at Greater riches than the treasures in Egypt in the world system. <laughs> what was the problem with the church at Laodicea? They were involved with the riches of the world. Check the parable of the seeds in Luke the 8th chapter. Matthew the 13th chapter. Read the parable of the seeds. How some were choked with cares and riches of this life, with all their plans and certain things and certain places. Off they go again. <laughs> Off they go again. Love to be with you. Off they go again. Whew. Wow. Well, esteeming the reproaches of Christ greater. What does it mean, the reproaches of Christ? Well, well when I think of those verses, I have to turn to certain scriptures here. For instance, in Psalm 69, verse 9, this is referring to Christ, right? Look at verse 8. I am become. Look at verse 7. Because for your sake I have borne reproach. This is Psalm 69, verse 7. Shame has covered my face. I am become a stranger unto my brethren and an alien unto my mother's children, those of family of God. For the zeal of your house has eaten me up, and the reproaches of them, this is Jesus speaking to his father. Father, the reproaches of them that reproach you are fallen upon me. Do you know what that means? Do you know what this means? Esteeming the reproaches of Christ greater riches than the greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. Why? Because he had respect unto the recompense of the eternal reward versus temporary gain. Listen, 
What does it mean? The reproaches of Christ. What does it mean? This is what it means. This is what the Apostle Paul said through the Holy Spirit, as the Holy Spirit said it through the Apostle Paul. Verse Colossians chapter 1 and verse 24. Who now rejoice in my sufferings for you. Did you hear that? <laughs> Those sufferings. I rejoice in my sufferings for you. Listen to this. And fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my body, in my personal body, for his body's sake, the church. Which is the church. You know, what is that supposed to mean? Now, how should I interpret that? Well, here's the scriptures again. This is Philippians chapter 1, verse 29. For unto you, who is you here? Every member of the body of Christ. For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, receive from him and believe, but also to suffer for his sake. And if I am finding pleasures in the world, am I going to want to take my proper place in this world while I'm here, temporarily, by the way, on my way to to my eternity? Am I suffering afflictions, which is part of my call? Did you know that? It's come down to this. You're going to suffer them, even with believers. Even with the believers. Honestly, even with believers. Back to Hebrews, the 11th chapter. He was esteeming the reproaches of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. By faith, verse 27, by faith he forsook Egypt. Nothing about him, nothing about his walk resembled anything about the world. He didn't laugh at what the world laughs at. He didn't have jokes the way the world has jokes. He didn't function the way the world functioned. Unfortunately, when you read Revelations, the second chapter, and you can start at the church of Ephesus in verse 4, when you leave your first love, when he leaves first place in your life, another authority comes in and takes over. It's called the spirit of the world. And watch the decline in church history from Revelations chapter 2 and verse 4 to the end in Revelations chapter 3 and verse 22. For those that leave their first love in 2-4 of Revelations, the word is here in 3.22 what the Spirit is saying unto the church. Hear it. No, submit to it. No. Why? Too busy. Pleasures. Pleasures. Pleasures in, the, in, in place of not only believing in Christ, but actually suffering with him. You know, if you suffer with me in 2 Timothy 2, verse 12, you'll reign with me. Not only in eternity forever, but right now. If you suffer with me, you'll reign with me. Why? Because in Romans 8, 18, the sufferings of this present time, righteous sufferings, by the way, are not even worthy to be compared to the glory that will be revealed in us and on us because that glory has to do with Colossians 1 and verse 27, Christ in you, the hope, the guarantee of glory. The guarantee of glory. By faith, in Hebrews eleven twenty-seven, 27, he, Moses, he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. 
when you and I don't submit to Christ and knowing what the word is without accusing or condemning someone, but exhorting them, what do we do? When we don't reverence Christ, we will fear the flesh and another Christian. We, fear the, we will fear their wrath towards us. We don't want that because we might lose a friend. Wow. We might lose a friend. Listen. Not fearing the wrath of the king. You know, when Christ isn't reigning over us, either, it, either it's going to be my flesh, listen, or the flesh of another believer. I'm not talking about the unsaved world. I am talking about the flesh of another believer. In my life, and it's the easiest thing to do. The, the, the millisecond that we forget God, which is the easiest thing to do, we give place to the devil in Ephesians 4, verse 27. We give him a place. How? Through the flesh of another believer. Who well, we don't want to offend them because we might, might lose what? I don't understand. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured. What does that mean? What does endurance mean? There's where we get our Greek word macrothumia. It's bearing up under manfully even when Christians become your enemy. Because you tell them the truth in Galatians 4, 15, and 16. There was a time in the beauty of our fellowship. It was the beauty that you would have torn your eyes out and given them to me. Am I now your enemy? Because I tell you the truth. Am I your enemy? Because I tell you the truth. Look at now. He endured macrothumia and then also hupomone. All those circumstances and situations didn't become a means of escape to get into some pleasure so that we could endure them. No, not at all. That's not hupomone. And that's not macrothumia. Furthermore, that's not the patience that love is in 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 4 because love Listen, don't tell the Christian this one. Love, who God is, suffers enduringly long. Doesn't quit. Doesn't back up. It doesn't go back. It continues to go forward. When I don't want Christ where I am, I want change. That's a fact. It's a solid fact. And it's something that is my absolute, immovable, literally immovable, absolute and conviction based upon the word of God. And this isn't an accusation or a condemnation of a single person. These are solid facts in the word of God. I don't know what we should build our lives on other than the very foundation of the word that Christ is himself. Well, again, we are to be we are to be his witnesses on the earth. What do people see when they see me? What does the unsaved world, when they see me, do they see a difference in me that's different than the way they are? Or do I function just like them? No wonder Jesus said, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I'm going to be in the midst. 
there I am going to be in the midst. Then, through enduring, as seeing him who is invisible, but we walk by faith, not by sight, don't we, in 2 Corinthians 5, 7. No, no, we don't. For our light affliction in 2 Corinthians 4, 17, which is but for a moment, a blink of an eye, it works for us a far more exceeding eternal weight of glory while we look not at the things that are seen in 2 Corinthians 4.18. We don't look at the things that are seen, those things of the pleasures of the world that will draw us away. We look not at the things that are seen, but the things that are not seen. Because the things that are seen are what? Temporal. <laughs> the things that are not seen are what? They're eternal. Eternal realities. Eternal realities. Notice that? And so he endured as seeing him who was invisible. And then through that faith dependence, he kept the Passover. He didn't leave it and go into the world. He kept it. And in keeping it, he was kept. Kept in 1 Peter 1.5 by the power of God versus the power of the enemy. Through the lust of the flesh calling it Christianity, calling that fellowship <coughs> nonsense. Now we're to be his witness. Witnesses upon the earth, literally as a corporate witness. Even when it says that, even when it says it here in 2 Corinthians 3, watch this, how it should be. Is there one body? Is there one body? Every Christian on this earth that's born again is of one body. How many heads does that one body have? One. But there are many local assemblies. But what is a true local assembly? What do they do? Is their very life together in everything that they do? In a local assembly? As far as I know, and when I look at the book of Acts, yes. In the book of Acts, the church began in, in Acts, the second chapter, as much as some want to say it began, be, you know, began in the 9th or the 13th or the 26th chapter, which makes no sense whatsoever. But the church was formed in Acts, the second chapter. And that church was formed even before Paul became an apostle, by the way, if I understand the scriptures correctly. But has that changed? Did they not do everything together? Read Acts, the second chapter. Read it. Didn't they do everything together? Or did they have their own plans and separate things? <laughs> they had the one life, don't they? Don't we have the one life? Is it expressed in a local assembly? I may have a desire to do things, but until I submit, the pleasures of the world, the lust of the flesh, will hold sway over me. It's just the way it is. It's just the way it is. It's unfortunate. And it is. It is. It's very unfortunate. But what does it say here? Even as far as the church, one body, one head, where his was body, Ephesians 5.30, one head, Colossians 1.18 and 2.19, one head. Right? And what is that supposed to be? What is the church as a corporate witness supposed to be? What is a local assembly, part of that one manifestation of that corporate oneness and as a testimony to the world together, not separate, but together, what are we to be? Second Corinthians 3, verse 1. Do we begin again to commend ourselves? In other words, Paul is saying, is what I'm preaching about me commending myself? Is it? 
Or need we, as some others, epistles of commendation to you? Or letters of condemnation? Now, do I need permission? Do I need your permission to tell you the truth? To declare Christ? Do I need your permission? Or is it just something I should be in, in Christ in me? Verse 2, you are our epistle written in our hearts, known and read of all men, for as much as you are manifestly declared to be what? The epistle, not epistles, separate. You're to be, in a local assembly is one, the epistle. That's what it says. The epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink. It's easier to write it down and say, yeah, I agree with it. But with the Spirit, notice that, the Spirit of the living God. Not in tables of stone, but in fleshly tables of the heart. Notice that? Do we notice that? We're to be the epistle of Christ. And when they read Christ in us, then they know him. But if they see me, do they see me any different? Do I talk differently? Do I act differently? Do I speak the same language? Do I do the same things? Do I go to the same places? Do I think as a Christian I have to go into a bar room to win a person who drinks? Do I think I have to do that? Do I think that I have to drink when someone else has that problem and to win them? I don't know. Should I do evil that good may abound in Romans 3.8? Is this any accusation or condemnation about someone who's in Christ? No. No. But what are we functioning in? What are we functioning in? Watch. For this very member, for this, every single member of the body of Christ is needed. My life is not my own. Oh, boy. And indeed, as a whole, we must grow up unto Christ in all things. Because then we become that measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. We see that in Ephesians 4. 13 and 15. Now, there is a ministry within that is necessary. A ministering within. If Christ is not ministering to me through the power of the Holy Spirit and have control over me, that is an absolute necessary and a necessity, then what will my outward testimony be? What, what will my outward testimony be? What will I be declaring? Is what I say reveal who I am or is it my conduct and character worked out through my conduct? It's not what I say that teaches. It's how I act, how I conduct myself. What I'm occupied with. No wonder Jesus said in Luke 19, 13, occupy till I come. No, there's a ministry within that's a necessity as well as an outward testimony. And then the whole body, notice this, fitted together. What fits us together? It's love. That's right. Love. When it's love, it's Christ. When it's Christ, it's nothing of the world. There's no separation. Remember? Moses forsook Egypt. He separated himself from it completely. That's what Christ is doing with Christians today on the earth. He's separating them. He took them out of the world. You know, he took, 
He took Israel out of Egypt. He took a mountain one night. For over 400 years, what they couldn't do, he did in one night. But it took him a lifetime to take Egypt out of Israel. It takes him a lifetime, a lifetime to take the world out of the Christian who lives in their flesh. The whole body fitted together and compacted. You know what it means, compacted? When things get so tight, is there any room or space between them? (laughs) What keeps love flowing in in any relationship? It's forgiveness. Keeps it compacted. Listen, notice what it says. Compacted by that which every joint supplies in a local assembly, by the way. We all can't gather in one place. Every joint supplies according to the, listen to what it says, the effectual working. There's an experiential work going on in the life of the submitted believer. But when it's not, is anything effectual? Effectual working in the measure, listen to this, of every part. If one part of me is out of joint, does it affect my whole body? If one body member in a local assembly is functioning out of their place, does the body feel it? And I think maybe it's going to be greener grass over the hill. I may think so. Oh, boy. The measure, the working in the measure, and what is effectual working? Here, in Ephesians 4 and verse 16, what's the effectual work? It's Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Work out your own salvation with a reverence and trembling, for it is God which works in you both to will, a submitted will, and then to do his good pleasure. He works in us his good pleasure. Is that Christ? Is he the only one who ever pleased him? In John 8, verse 29, in Romans 15 and verse 3, he pleased not himself. The natural man, the fleshly man in Christ is always in competition within himself with Christ in himself. And you wonder why there's so much confusion and not an experiential life and peace. In 1 Corinthians 14, 33, why? Because God does all things decently and in order, and that order is a local assembly. According to the word. Well, so then what? How then essential is the very thought of ministry to the church, to the local assembly? And no wonder, after establishing 1 Corinthians and what went on there, how he had to establish 2 Corinthians. And we wonder that the whole second epistle of Corinthians should be devoted to this very subject. How important then is the thought of ministry to the local assembly? We don't have our own plans. Love to come. It's my desire. Okay. Boy. How essential is it? And we wonder that the whole second epistle of Corinthians is devoted wholly to this particular subject as a what? Fitting and needful Truth, an appendix to the doctrine, the teaching of the first one. How can there be fellowship with the great minister, Christ himself, the Holy Spirit, ministering to us the things of Christ? How can there be fellowship with that great minister to all our need without participating with him 
in the character of who he is in us and who we are in him. How is there fellowship? There isn't. What does that character have to do with? Love which seeks not her own. 1 Corinthians 13, 5. I'm not seeking my own fellowship. 1 John chapter 1, 1 through 3. Kinonia, K-O-I-N-O-N-I-A. Kinonia, the setting aside of personal desires and plans for the benefit of that local assembly. And when I don't want to do that, what do I need? What do I need? Listen, here we go. Listen, I don't care if it is two or three, because that's what Jesus said it will be. So don't be surprised at that, okay? Don't be surprised at that. Don't be surprised at that. Here is Proverbs 24, verse 21. My son, whose are we? We're Christ. My son, fear you, the Lord. Reverence the Lord as your king, your spiritual authority. And meddle not with them that are given to change. Meddle not with changers. Always need a change. Always got to go here, got to go there, got to here. Do this thing, do that thing. So occupied. Oh, and you think I support it? I love them and support them, but I do not agree one, not at all. Not at all. Not even a scintilla of it. So, then, again, how can there be a be fellowship with the great minister to all of our need? Christ is, who's our need? Philippians 4.13, 4.19. I can do all things through Christ. How? Because he's my need fulfilled in 4.19. But, how can there be fellowship with that? personal, experiential minister to each individual, to every need, their singular need to them, without, oh God, without, either you're participating or you're without, <laughs> God, without participating with him in that very character. Love which seeks not her own is the very spirit of this character. It doesn't seek their own. It doesn't have their own plans. And without love, without love, listen, with Christians, Christians, without love, what is all speech, you tell me? All talk, I don't care. What is the talk about? Is it about Christ? Is Christ being lifted up in the individual that you're having fellowship with and vice versa? No, it's not fellowship because that's love. What is all speech? What is all knowledge? What is all giving of one's goods to feed the poor? Though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains. And what, what won't the flesh do to get its own way? You tell me. We'll remove mountains. But come and hear the word of God. Not even a speed bump can't be crossed. Not even a speed bump. <laughs> all speech, all knowledge, all giving, and still not have love. I could remove mountains. Can I remove mountains? 
Without love, without God? Sure, because they're in my mountains. It's about me. And have not love, I am what? No thing, nothing. What does that mean? John 6, 63. Right? It is the spirit that, that quickens, that imparts life. Listen to me. It is the spirit, the Holy Spirit, who imparts the life to the believer of Christ. That's your life. Christ is not what you do, where you go, your details. No. It is the Spirit. Huh? Look what it says. Listen to what it says in John 6, 63. It is the Spirit that imparts life. The flesh profits nothing but the words that I speak unto you. He's speaking them today. The words that I speak unto you are spirit and life. And if it's not the Holy Spirit, tell me which spirit is it? Is it the spirit of the world? Do you even know how to try the spirits in 1 John 4, 1? And do we even understand what that means in the correlation of those verses in 1 John 4, 1 through 21? No. I am nothing. Paul said, I know in me that is in the flesh dwells what? No good thing. If it's not good, then what is it? It's evil. The flesh that we put up within ourselves and believers, other believers, and call it fellowship, I don't want to offend them, or, you know, because <laughs> they might reject us, is evil. When we function in the flesh, in our own will, what do we do? Psalm 51, verse 4, against you and you only have I sinned and done this what? Evil in your sight. Help us, Father, all of us. I am nothing. For all this, so I can have declarative knowledge, by the way. I can declare it all day long. I, ha I know a lot of young people that can do that. And by I, when I say young, those that haven't even reached the age of 40 yet. That's right. They have a declarative knowledge without experiencing Christ. And so all they have is a declarative, natu natural, fleshly, carnal knowledge. And tell me what good is that? Do I think I can take the grace of God and live in self-will, which is sin? Romans 6, 1 and 15 makes it clear, cannot happen. What people won't miss to do versus what they will miss in a heartbeat, in a millisecond. And call it love, because they do something in one area, but they don't do it in another. But what they did in that area is love, but not in this one. <laughs> oh, that's because they have a right to live the way they desire, so they think. So any of us would think in the flesh. For all this, for all this, to function properly in Christ, he's the one sufficiency. How, how, much, how much sufficiency do we have in Christ? Him, that's it. Any other? No. But other things will be sufficient for us, won't they? No wonder it says, sufficient unto the days, the evil thereof. Read Matthew, the sixth chapter. Who is the sufficiency? And from Christ alone. Notice that. For all this, Christ is the one sufficiency. And from Christ, what? Alone, alone, must the church 
draw for competence of every kind. I know how to do anything without him. Because without him, I can do, John 15, 1 through 5, nothing. And when we think that we do nothing, and boy, I had a greater revelation than this, and we'll close. I had a greater revelation. To think that when I don't function in Christ, I do nothing. Yeah, you know what the nothing is? Evil. Because if it's not love, if it's not love, I am nothing. And if it's not love, what is it? It's evil. (laughs) Just think about it. The purity of fellowship and what that means. The purity of it. You know what fellowship with Christ means? The fellowship with Christ means this. It's separation from the world and all of its wisdom. You know, a Christian wants to live in the flesh. Don't you think the enemy won't send someone else who might even be a lot older to help you live in the flesh and to support you right where you're at and to tell you these things are okay to do? It's so interesting to me. I don't even see the correlation. There has to be Separation from the world with all its wisdom to have fellowship with Christ and the word of God insists upon it. He must increase in John 3.30, but I must. Mm. I want the increase. I just don't want the decrease. I love you, but. <laughs> Are there any buts in love? Whew. It's insisted on. Why? Separation from the world. Why? Because that world has rejected Jesus Christ. Did you know that? You know, that world that we go to? (laughs) Which is corrupt. The world system is corrupt. How? Through the lust of the flesh. And over which broods the dark shadow of its self-chosen prince, Satan, in John 12, 31, and 14, 30. I don't choose God. I don't choose his order. I don't choose the local assembly. I don't choose oneness where I am. What do I choose? I choose the prince to rule and reign over me, and I still say it's okay because I'm a Christian, and God will give me grace. (laughs) No, sir. Who is not Christ? The self-chosen prince is not Christ, but the great enemy of Christ and even the enemy of those that choose him to be their prince for a time because they think that God will give them grace to continue to live in known disobedience and then even have to do it right in front of you. And, you know, that's okay, right? Because after all, we love them. You don't go forward, what do we do? What do I do personally, Ed? What does Ed do personally when it doesn't go forward? It goes right back. To what? Just one area of the flesh? Do you know why it says they went down to Egypt in Isaiah 30, verse 1? It says they went down to Egypt. They went back, went to Egypt, and they began to add sin unto sin. I knew it. I knew it. No, knew it in my life. Then they began in Psalm 69, verse 27, and Romans 6, 19, to add iniquity unto iniquity. What's iniquity? My own will, my will, not yours. You're not going to tell me what to do. I'm going to choose the way I want to live, and you don't have a right to tell me anything. You don't tell me anything. You offend me. 
I offend you? Yeah. What, what is offended in us when we function in Christ? Nothing. Psalm 119, 165, great peace have they. Why is the peace great? Because Christ is our peace. Ephesians 2, 14. Great, great, right? Great peace have they that what? Love your word. And no thing, evil, will what? Cause you to stumble. You don't use people as an excuse to stumble back. (laughs) You don't do that. You don't do it. Huh? Many of his disciples, those that he were taught, many of his disciples, when they refused to go forward, because you know what? In John the sixth chapter, look at verse 60 to 66. Many of his disciples went back. Why'd they go back? Because he was teaching them the cross that crucifies the flesh. Many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. <laughs> They went back. Go back. Go back. Go back. You may think the need is to go there, to meet a need, but the need is you need to go back to learn down low so that you can continue to go forward again. This is true with all of us. It's true with the love that he loves us with. He loves us. And all of this, there is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ. Is there? Where does the condemnation come from? Romans 8, 4. Those that are in Christ, choosing to live in the flesh, and then when the word comes, they feel it's against them. Is God against the flesh in me? Is God himself against me functioning in the flesh? You tell me. God who is love, is he against me functioning in the flesh? Okay. Thank you for your love, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.